Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. Leading us along the way, but God guiding us along the way. And so the way that we walk this pilgrimage, this journey, this spiritual journey, is through faith. Now there's two things we could say in, in terms of pilgrimage uh, that we see in the person of Abraham and his story. First of all is this. All pilgrimages begin with what initially feels like loss. Pilgrimage be, pilgrimages begin with what initially feels like loss. For Abram, that means he left his understanding of how his world worked. And so he left his society, his culture, to the, go to the land that God would show him. He left uh, his security and the systems that were there. He left his identity behind because he left his father's household. And so he was compelled by God to go somewhere to follow God. There was a a sense of invitation that God gave him that God that compelled him to go, but there was loss in the beginning. And so there is that sense of feeling loss when we begin a pilgrimage because we're leaving something behind for something that I think is better, uh, something that God is calling us to. So that's the first thing. Pilgrimages are journeys of what initially feels like loss. Second is this. Blessing, or what we receive along the way, uh, cannot be imagined. And so we talked about the, the promises that Abraham was given from God, and we said there was probably a way that he concocted in his mind what he thought those promises would look like and how they would come about. But the, the fact of the matter is that we cannot imagine the goodness of the good that God has for each one of us on our pilgrim journeys. We just simply can't imagine it. And in fact, for Abraham, what we saw was that the, the promise that God had for him actually rested on his helplessness, rested on something that he couldn't do for himself. He had to lean in in faith and continue to trust God. So this morning, I want to take this a step further, uh, as we'll see in the texts that are given to us this morning, um, but to, to talk about an experience all of us experience, uh, something we all experience on uh, this thing called pilgrimage, and it's this, hardship or challenge or testing, hardship or challenge or testing. Because it's not just in the beginning where we have to leave something behind where we feel like there's loss or there's some sort of challenge that's happening. It also happens along the way. We experience it along the way. Sometimes there are things that happen on our pilgrimage that acts as a test for us. And so I wanna talk about tests this morning, um, their purpose, where God is and, and, and who we are in the midst of them. So we're going to join uh, the people of Israel here in chapter 17 of the book of Exodus as they experience one of these tests. So follow along as I read. It should be on the screen uh, behind me. This is what the writer of Exodus says. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. 
They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water, man. They didn't say man, but that's my addition. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. Keep in mind, if, if you are out in the desert or if you can imagine the hot summer days and you've been out all day long, um, you need some water and there's nothing there. That's how they would feel kind of times 10. And so they're there and they say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. I can just imagine the tone here. What do you want me to do with these people? It's not, what do you want me to do with these people? It's, what do you want me to do with these people? They're about ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, because they're authority figures, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. Now what's interesting here is that same staff that struck the Nile was what turned the, the sweet water or the drinkable water of the Nile bitter, turned that to blood. That same stick, that same staff, is now turning this bitter water to something that is drinkable or sweet. One happens in the land of slavery, one happens in the land of freedom, and what the, uh, the writer and what the message is getting at here is God is the God of both the enslaved and the free. God is the God of both places and both lands. So he strikes them out. And he says, uh, God says to Moses, I will be before you at the rock at Horeb. Now, the Horeb too is Sinai. So it's another side of the same mountain, Sinai, which they're going to eventually reach. So they're about at their destination, the, the mountain of Sinai. Strike the rock and the water will come out of it for the purpose of the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders, and he called that place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's a great question for pilgrims. Is the Lord among us or not? Is God with me or not? Let's give uh, some context to where all these verses and where the story falls into in the history and the life of Israel. So this is about one month after being delivered from Egypt. And that whole thing was a process in and of itself, too. Moses shows up, says, I'm going to set you free. God's going to set you free through me. It goes through all the plagues, goes through the Red Sea, uh, walls of water, million people walking through on dry land. They come to the other side. They've followed a cloud by day and a fire by night. There's some out-of-the-ordinary stuff that has happened for this group of people. Um, yet, we find them questioning God here. They, they are testing God, and this isn't the first time, actually. This is the third test in chapters 15 through 17. So there's three times where they're asking God, hey, God, actually, they don't even ask God. They don't address God at all. They talk to Moses. What's up with this? Are you leaving us out here to die? The first one was water. <clears throat> The question and the test was because of water. The second one was because uh, this is the story that you might remember. They wanted some meat. Don't you remember our life was so good in, in, in slavery? We had all the meat that we wanted whenever we wanted it, which wasn't true. It's just a way of looking with rose-colored glasses back at your past. That was in chapter 16. Now in chapter 17, the water's bitter again, and they're complaining again. They're complaining about their circumstance again. Now, it seems obvious for us reading this that was like you people are just dumb don't you get it 
But if you're in the context, and if you consider your own pilgrimage, when, when something simple as water might not be going right for you, and you're like, God, where are you in the midst of this? As God's proved faithful, like for most of your life, probably. And then this one little thing doesn't happen, and you're like, seriously? Really? Where are you? I think we can kind of identify and maybe have a little empathy for the people of Israel. Um, because it's easy for us to read it, this short narrative within a few minutes, but we have the same experience too. What we come to find and, and see in this desert experience with the people of Israel is what you and I experience too, is that whatever God does for us is meant to take root in us. Whatever God does for us is meant to take root in us. And so the outer, the outer pilgrimage of the people of Israel is representative of an inner pilgrimage as well. That's the same thing for you and I as we travel. The outer life, there's an inner life that we also travel. And we want to travel those two things in line congruent uh, with one another. Um, so let's uh, continue on here then. Um, these... these uh, these verses that we find are early on in their journey. And so that work, that inner work uh, that they're responding to, the way of the heart kind of work, hasn't had time really to settle in yet. And so as we look at the people of Israel, it's not that they don't get it. I mean, they don't get it. But if you think about your nature, if you think about my nature, it takes time for these things to ingrain themselves in our hearts and to make them a part of our lives. It doesn't just happen like that overnight. It doesn't matter how miraculous things happen in our lives. There comes a time when the miraculous dies down where the question comes, has it taken root in my heart, in your heart, in our lives? Because that's the intention. God does want to do these gracious things for us. God does want to do miraculous things for us. But God also wants those things, they're, they're meant for the intention of knowing and internalizing the life and the love that God has for us. Now this story that we have of Israel being freed from oppression in Egypt is also uh, what Paul in Romans 5 and 6 looks back on and understands and, and is kind of uses as a prototypical journey for how we understand sin. And so we, why I'm bringing this up is in order for us to help see ourselves within the context of this particular story. Because it might be hard for us to read backwards and to, and, and to think these people just simply don't get it. But when we think about it, we think like this, uh, and we see this story in the context of helping us understand the presence of sin in our own lives, there comes a time when we are oppressed right? We're in Egypt, ourselves are in Egypt, and God delivers us. That might be a moment, it might be a working, like with the people of Israel, it was working over a period of time, but God eventually then frees us. Now, on the other side, that's the, the freedom part from the oppression of slavery is a part, and it's a point, but it's not the end of the story. For the rest of the people of Israel and for you and I, it's not just being delivered from the power of sin and death. The question then becomes, what kind of people are we going to become after that? And so the story doesn't end. The story doesn't end with deliverance, but the story continues on. And it's a question of formation. What, are, what kind of people are we going to be formed into? And so these people have been freed from Egypt in miraculous ways, 
but they need to be reformed and reshaped as a new people because they've spent 400 years in slavery. Now, if you're spending 400 years in slavery, and we have modern-day examples of this, it impacts your psyche and the way you think and the way you operate as a culture and as a society and as a people. And so they need time in order to work this new life, this new freedom into them. So being free from sin is one thing, but becoming a new people, whether it be Israel or whether it be us, becoming a new people takes time. It's a long, long walk through that desert. It's a long walk to Sinai. It's a long walk on the other side of Sinai. But there is a purpose for this walk. And so this walk I want to liken this morning to a pilgrimage or a spiritual journey. Deuteronomy 8.2 tells us and helps us to understand the purpose of this journey, of this walk. So reflecting back, this is Moses' really long sermon as he's about to leave his people. And he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? Here's, Here's the key phrase. To humble and to test you. To humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. This pilgrimage journey has a purpose, and the purpose is to test, and the purpose of that test is to unveil what is in our hearts. I want to spend some time sitting with this idea of testing, okay? First of all, we need to set aside some things. Sometimes, we loop everything into God testing, okay? So this is language that I find unhelpful for any follower of Jesus really to use, okay? So if something is hard or challenging um, or just downright wrong in your life or a friend's life or something like that, like you saying, oh, God has a purpose for you isn't helpful, right? Or if you say, well, God is just doing this to teach you that, also unhelpful, right? Not every bad thing or hard thing that happens in our lives is a result of God testing us. It needs to be more nuanced in that because we don't live in a vacuum. We live in a world that is full of evil, that is broken, that have a bunch of different forces that are going back and forth and back and forth. And so just because something is hard or something that tests us doesn't mean it's from God. Some things are just evil. Abuse is evil. Abusers sometimes use the Bible or use the name of God to justify their abuse. No, that's wrong. That's evil. Sometimes things are just hard and part of the broken world. Like, I want to be sensitive to this, but like, God does not need another little angel in heaven or another member of the angelic crowd, right? That's that's a way that people talk sometimes to cope when deaths that we don't feel should happen, happen, right? That's not God. If I want to know where God is in the midst of those kind of hard things, I look to the person of Jesus to understand exactly where God is in the midst of that stuff. And as I read the Gospels, I see Jesus setting women free from oppression. I don't see him oppressing them or excusing the oppression. I see him setting them free from the oppression. 
I see him stopping them being stoned in John chapter 8. Or in John chapter 4, I see the woman who's been taken advantage of by several husbands set free from that kind of lifestyle. Well, you see prostitutes dining with Jesus and having an association and, and becoming human uh, and getting out of cycles that are abusing them. That's where Jesus is present. That's where God is present in the midst of these things. I see Jesus healing sick people, not causing sickness. I see Jesus raising the dead, not causing death. And so if we want to get a sense of where God is in the midst of the hard things of life, we look to the person of Jesus. Now, sometimes there are tests in our lives that God does bring about. But if they're kind of counter to what we see in the person of Jesus, I would suggest that we kind of question those origins if they're of God or not. But there are some times in our lives where God does test us. And, and at, at least in my life, I've found that like we talked about last week, I have this certain view of how things should go, how I should get there, where the end is going to be. And most of the time when God tests me, it's not taking me in the way that I think I should go, not taking me towards the end which I think I should be, be at, and instead is leading me on these different paths that are bringing up in front of me issues of my heart that I need to deal with. That is how God tests me. Now, God's testing is very different. Uh, I, I love education, right? There's a lot of educators in here. God's tests are different than educational tests, okay? My son just got his license, okay? And he's doing fantastic, by the way. He's not wrecked any cars yet. <laughs> Takes corners a little heavy still, but we're working on that, bud. Um, my kids hate when I talk about them up here. Don't walk out. It's okay, buddy. I'm just kidding. He's not walking out. Um, our tests are different um, because when he went in to get his, um, his permit, it was a pass or fail, right? You had so many answers you could get wrong before you failed. Pass or fail. Or if you're in the educational system, your, uh, your name, your, you earn a grade, A, B, C, D, I was going to say E or F. Uh, a, B, C, D, or F, whatever happened to E in the first place. Anyway, um, but these grades determine your worth, right? You do what you can, you are given a grade then in order to return or, or help you determine your worth and where you're at. This is not the purpose or, or the way that God tests us. It's not pass or fail. It's not zero sum. It's not you did it or you didn't do it. It's not even to earn anything from God. Rather, if we go back to the book of Deuteronomy and, and we read that it, these tests happen to uncover what's in our hearts. And so when we're tested, the purpose of the testing is to uncover what is going on underneath. To uncover what's going on underneath. To help us to see the content of our heart what's going on underneath the surface. In the context of this time in the life of Israel, it's helping them to understand this, that they might be out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of them, okay? They might be out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of them. And if we understand this um, real story, historical story of the people of God in the desert too, 
as metaphorical language too for how the New Testament understands sin, we understand the same thing. We might be freed from sin, but there is still sin in us. We might be freed from the power of sin, but this ongoing work of God to free us from those sinful patterns will continue on. And so the purpose of testing is to uncover the content of our hearts, what's going on beneath the surface. Now, what's interesting as you think about where the people of Israel are at right now in Exodus chapter 17, there's a parallel in Numbers chapters 11 through 20. And um, this uh, parallel helps us to understand something about the human heart in response to God's testing. So in the beginning, they're just trying to figure these things out. God's super merciful. There's some water. Drink up. But then in Numbers chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it starts off this way in this second series of grumblings. So this is on the other side of Sinai, on the other side of the Ten Commandments, on the other, you know, time has passed. And Numbers 11:1 1 says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. So it's the same thing, same attitude. And when he heard them, now there's a shift here. There's not a shift with the people, but there's a, a shift in their perception of relationship to God. When he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them, consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So if you can imagine this kind of circle of fire surrounding the outskirts of the camp. But then the people cried out to Moses. They cried out to Moses again, and he prayed to them, or to the Lord, and the fire died down. Now, there's some things to pay attention to here. One, in the beginning, in Exodus chapter 17, they complained to Moses, okay? What we notice here is they don't complain to God. Complaining to God is an act of faith. Complaining to God is an act of faith. Complaining to a third person is an act of faithlessness. It's just grumbling. There's plenty of permission given in the scriptures to complain to God. Read the Psalms. There's plenty of prayers that are part of the people of Israel where we complain to God. Taking our complaints Godward is an act of faith. It's an act of relationship. But we don't see them doing that in the beginning, and they haven't grown in doing that either. They continue to grumble, and they continue to grumble towards Moses. Now, what has happened here is a time has uh, spent itself. And so they're no longer in these early stages where they've just been, been freed from slavery and, and they're learning this new way of life. They've been given a series of very simple commands, the Ten Commandments, and they're having a hard time living, not only living them out, but their hearts haven't changed towards God. They're still grumbling, still complaining as they did before. And this serves as a warning to us in terms of, uh, of the testings that happen in our life. Remember, I feel like testing, I believe wholeheartedly that testing is an act of God's mercy so that we can understand what's going on in our hearts so that we can deal with it. Now what happens though, and what we see this, uh, in, in the life of the people of Israel, what we see is they're doing the same thing after God has been repeatedly faithful to them. And what we can say is that over time, their hearts had not changed. 
And so what happens when our hearts are uncovered, God shows us something that we need to deal with, and we're saying, you know what, no thanks, I'm good. Whatever that is, and most likely in very practical terms, it's a pattern, right? It's a pattern and it's a way of being that solidifies then itself over time. And if our hearts are not soft and tender and humble, like Deuteronomy 8.2 says, to humble us, to test us in order to humble us, to show what's in our hearts, okay? If we don't respond in repentance and openness to change, when God unveils something about us that needs to be changed, our hearts become hard over time. That is not to say, and never to say, that God does not change hard hearts. But the impact of a hard heart is a hard life. Now that's not just hard lives just don't come from hard hearts. But the decisions that we make not to change, not to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, not to cooperate with the work that God wants to do in our lives to renew us and to free us from those ways of Egypt, solidify themselves within us so that they just become a part of who we are. And so when God uncovers something for you, A, it's not pass or fail, it's not so God can fail you, it's so you can see. It's for the sake of your freedom, not your failure. God uncovers the content of your heart through testing because God wants you to be free. The question is, how are you going to respond to that? Will you continue to respond in faith and in trust? It might take time for you to become free from whatever that is, and that's okay. It's not like God brings it up, Joshua, let's deal with this. Okay, how are we going to deal with this? Here's the 10-step plan. I'm going to check everything off. Done. It doesn't work like that. It is this back and forth. As God continues to bring things up in our life, it is this back and forth that changes us over time as the Spirit works, as we work with the Holy Spirit, as there is cooperation. But it is not good to ignore when those things come up. And I admit, it is hard when God unveils something about our hearts or our lives. It is humiliating sometimes. Like, oh, I'm that guy? Yeah, you're that guy. It, it, it is humbling, it's humiliating, but at the same time, it's not for the sake of, yeah, you're that guy, idiot. It's for, the, it's for the sake of being free from whatever that thing is. Let's move to the book of Romans, which reflects back a little bit on this and helps us to understand this a bit better. So Romans 5, uh, chapter, or chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So uh, here's um, an interesting encouragement from the Apostle Paul. As we see uh, times of hardship or testing or suffering through the eyes of faith, there's something that he offers, uh, for, a posture that he offers for us as God brings these things to the surface. He suggests we do something quite odd. We thank God for it. Listen to uh, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, this faith, how we walk this journey, we have peace with God. We have faith that God wants to be and makes himself at peace with us because of his sake, not because of ours. 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we're now standing. And we boast in, we give thanks in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory or we give thanks in our sufferings. We give thanks in our testings. Why? Because we know that suffering or our testings produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. There is no shame that's involved here because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I really can't do any better or extrapolate any better in what Paul says here. This testing sometimes produces in us perseverance. Perseverance, friends, is one of the characteristics of the people of God. Actually, it's what God's people are called to throughout perseverance, the perseverance of the saints. Like perseverance ought to be one of the descriptions of the church. And in fact, if you look historically at the church, perseverance is something that has been required of the church as it's moved throughout the ages in all times and transitions and sufferings and persecutions and all those kinds of things. Perseverance has been something that has been central to the people of God. So suffering produces perseverance. We push on in faith. We push past ourselves, trusting in God. We persist. We don't let go. Our complaints, whatever words that we use to strain forward, are directed to God. When we persevere, as we persevere, we direct that persevering language to God. God, give me strength. God, why? You can ask questions of why. God's big enough to answer or, 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 or hold your questions of why is this happening. God is big enough to, uh, to hold your question of how long? How long is this going to take? Why is this taking so long? God's big enough to, to, to hold those things. But the point is, you direct those questions, those complaints, those struggles, you direct them Godward. Because as you do that, there is this back and forth that works on the content of your soul, and you are becoming a different person because you're struggling in faith. You're not struggling for the sake of the struggle, but you're struggling in faith. There's perseverance that develops, the stick to itness. And this produces character. This produces character. And we, the, the, the character that was Egypt, that was sin, right? Those two things linked together is becoming something else. The character of Jesus, the character of Christ. So we persevere, just like uh, Hebrews 11 12 uh, talks about, uh, about uh, the cross being set before Jesus and, and Jesus joyfully continuing to move forward out of obedience. Because the, the character of the people of God, we don't avoid suffering, friends. We don't avoid testing. We enter into it because we know that God is with us and God has something for us there. Let me tell you something in, in terms of like how I see culture and the world. We do everything we can possibly do to avoid suffering. We do everything we possibly can do to avoid being challenged or being tested or being confronted. If we don't like this about ourselves, we simply make it okay. 
We make the behavior okay. We make whatever acceptable, the attitudes acceptable. And in doing so, we avoid our own transformation and simply transform whatever right and wrong are out there to make it fit our own needs. That happens within an individualistic culture, and then we put that on somebody else. That is not the way of the cross. That's not the way of the people of Jesus. When there is things that confronts you and I, we take a look in the mirror, and we ask God what God wants to do in us. We don't avoid suffering because Jesus doesn't avoid suffering. Jesus leans into suffering. We don't avoid suffering because Jesus leans into suffering because Jesus gives us a way through suffering. Suffering, friends, is an unavoidable, unavoidable part of this life. And I would suggest that maybe one of the things that, that hasn't been developed as much as it needs to be in the modern-day context of the church is not only perseverance, but character. We don't persevere. We just, ah! Like, oh, geez, here we go. COVID was a perfect example, right? No, keep everything the same. Don't mess with my life. This isn't really happening. Instead of saying, okay, God, this is a unique time in history. How do we trust you in the midst of this? Right? We need to lean in, persevere, because as we persevere in whatever we're facing, we're shaped by it. Our character is shaped, and that character produces then hope. I said I couldn't do better than Paul, but I talked for a couple minutes. Lastly, here, I uh, just want to leave you with these final words from Paul, uh, verses 6 through 11. Here's why we can persevere. Here's why. And here's why we can face tests. You see, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, his death, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, from God's judgment? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received reconciliation. Friends, the point being this, we can face testing and we can persevere because God's not against us. If you think that God is testing you because God is against you, That's just not the way God works or God operates. Friends, while you're sinners, while we're sinners, while we're ungodly people, Jesus is crucified on our behalf. He's clearly not waiting for us to do anything. He's doing something for us. God is for you. God doesn't want you to fail a test. God doesn't want your heart to become hard. God doesn't bring the things of your heart and the content of your heart up to shame you. God doesn't, he, God doesn't work like that. God does it 
to produce the character of Christ in you so that you are not the same person five years from now that you are today. And the question that that is continually before us is whether we will continue to press on in faith in the midst of testing. What are we going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the tests that are presented to you in life as maybe your route just doesn't take the way that you thought it would? Are you going to trust? Are you going to lean in? Is God for you or is God against you? I would suggest that God is for you. And that is why you can lean into the tests. That's why you can press on when you're walking that hard road and you can continue to walk because God is walking with you and because God is for you. I want to invite us just into a time of um, reflective prayer where... um, As we prepare to receive communion this morning, this ultimate statement that God is for us, I wonder if um, there are are those of you who feel like uh, there's tests, but that God's not for you. Maybe you've been viewing tests that you've been experiencing as Um, as if God's against you, God wants you to fail, God wants to cause you shame. I just want you to hear this morning, that that is not the God that we serve. It's not the God that's revealed in Jesus. God is for you. God can be trusted. Just spend a moment and receive that. Jesus, I pray that we would learn to receive the tests that you give us, not as ways to shame us, not as ways to condemn us, but that we might receive uh, tests as uh, a means to understand what's happening in our hearts, that we might receive tests as a way to, to see how Egypt still lies within our hearts, that we might receive tests as a way for us to cooperate with you in trusting you and leaning in in faith. Father, I pray that you would just help us to continue to press on in our pilgrimages in faith and trusting that you are with us. I'm going to invite you as we prepare to receive communion